This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well good morning Anchor, great to see you here today. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor Church and uh, I am really excited about today's message, Vision Sunday. Before we dive into it, a quick announcement that is uh, in two weeks time, I think it's in two weeks time, maybe, yeah, two weeks time, we are hoping to uh, appoint Arnaldo Santiago Jr. as an elder here at Anchor Church. Part of the process of that is putting our candidates before you and asking you to either express your concern for those candidates or your commendation towards them. And at this stage, I've had neither. I have had, haven't had a single email of either concern or commendation. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, but we would love to commend Alnado in a few weeks' time. So please email, please email me, matt at anchorchurch.com.au if you have any concerns around Alnado's nomination for eldership or you want to commend him if you have um, seen his character, all of the qualifications that you read there in 1 Timothy and Titus, um, and you want to commend any of that, then please email me because that's really affirming for our, uh, our candidates to be um, to receive those things. So please email me, matt at anchorchurch.com.au for all of that. Uh, we would love to um, uh, appoint Alnado an elder before we send him out to plant a church in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, sorry, a couple of months' time, not a couple of weeks. That would be very rapid. In a couple of months' time. I'm going to pray for us as we uh, look at God's Word this morning, so please join me. Father, we thank You that You are a God who speaks. We thank You that um, You breathe life into us by Your Word. We pray now, as, as Brad has mentioned, that this word would bring fruit, a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Father, we, we want to listen. We want you to change us by your spirit. We want you to make us more like Jesus. And our deep prayer, Father, is that you would set this church on fire. That would, that would begin with each and every single one of us. That we would be hungry for more of you this year. And so, Father, right now we pray that you would help us to lean in. Speak to us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, One of the things I love to do is read stories uh, or watch YouTube videos of very driven, successful people. And I remember uh, a, a while ago, I had a sick day and I just binged like Netflix all day. And I came across a, a documentary on a girl called Tia Claire Toomey. It was the CrossFit Games documentary. And she has been the, the fittest person in the world for the last three years running. So 2017, 2018, 2019, she won the Games, fittest woman in the world. And in addition to that, she also won a gold medal at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. And my, my guess is no one's ever really heard of her, right? Who's heard of Tia Claire Toomey? Like two people in the room, right? I don't know what, everyone needs to know about her. She is phenomenal. She's an incredible athlete and she is highly, highly driven. I remember watching an interview with uh, Tia Claire Toomey and she was talking about why she does what she does and why she trains the way that she trains and her training rhythms and the things that motivate and drive her to do what she does. And she was talking about the fact that she has a goal, she has a dream. Her goal is to win the CrossFit Games, to be the fittest woman in the world. And she says, so what I do is I literally make every sacrifice necessary to achieve that goal. I will do whatever it takes 
to achieve that goal in terms of diet, in terms of training, in terms of sacrifice, in terms of early mornings, in terms of um, you know, sacrificing social calendar, all of the things that she deems necessary. She is willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. And I, I'm, I'm so inspired by those, um, those stories of people who are willing to do that, to achieve their dreams, to achieve success, to achieve their goals. And often when it comes to Christian circles, we kind of get really uncomfortable when it comes to ambition. Ambition is um, often a nasty word in Christian circles, but I want to say that um, we need to be more ambitious as a church. We need to have more ambition, more drive, more determination to see not our personal dreams, our goals and our achievements realized, but to see the kingdom of God come, to see the, the darkness pushed back in this world. And so this morning, what I want to do is introduce to you some new language that we have been using and you will have heard over the last couple of months to bring fresh language to our, our vision here at Anchor. Now, one of the reasons we've done that is because virtually no one could could say the last vision statement, right? Not even the staff could say it. It was so long and lengthy and, and nuanced that no one could possibly remember. It's something along the lines of, you know, wanting to see our city transformed as we make everyday disciples of Jesus, gathering them into rapidly multiplying gospel communities and equipping them and sending them on mission and filled with the Spirit and, you know, it was like just way too long and theologically correct, but no one could remember it, right? And, and so we wrestled with that. And so... Uh, some time ago, the staff spent some time praying, thinking about how do we communicate what it is we're actually doing in a clear, succinct way so that everyone can remember it, everyone can get it, and how do we reevaluate that in light of the last couple of years of what God has been doing in our church? And so the phrase that we want to use, and we're not calling it a vision statement or a mission statement because everyone has a different definition of what that is, right? We're saying this is what we believe God has called our church to. In, in this part of the city, in this time, as we have prayerfully discerned what God wants for us, this is what we believe God is calling our church to. Our call is to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home, to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. Now, that's probably not new language because we've been using that for the last few weeks. And if you were at the Southwest Vision Night, you would have just heard that said like 50 billion times. Um, but that is, that is where we're heading in terms of new language. So we used to you know, so in community, on mission for Jesus, we want to start using this language of doing whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. Now, why? We, we believe that captures a lot of what we are at Anchor. We believe it captures the strong missional impulse that we have at our church, that we exist um, not just to gather in a safe, holy huddle of Christian believers, but to be sent out to the city around us, to our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues, our, our sport team members, our, um, our family members. And so it has this strong missional push. It also captures the deep sense of urgency that we feel uh, is true for the context that we're in. And we also believe that um, this language of calling people home captures that sense of family that we have, that we uh, value community, that we want to invite people not just to attend an event on Sunday, but to be a part of a family, people to belong to. And so in, um, in this season ahead, we want to introduce this new language because we believe that this is actually what we've been doing for the last couple of years and what God is calling us to continue to do, to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. Now, the question is, is that all we do? I mean, are we just about bringing people home? Is that, 
don't we do other things? And the answer is, of course we do. Yes, I realize that statement is highly reductionistic. We still value Sundays. We still value gospel communities. We still value prayer. We still value the Bible and theology and pastoral care and, and all of those things. But this is the pointy end of the purpose. This is the reason why we do all of those things. This is why we believe that we exist. You know, there's, there's a bit of a fundamental assumption built into that statement, and that is that mission and evangelism are actually important. And that's a good question to ask. Is it? Is it actually important today? Like in a pluralistic society where everyone has their opinions, uh, surely it's wrong to force our religious views on other people these days. Is mission, is evangelism necessary anymore? And the answer is yes, it's essential. Mission and evangelism were Jesus' priority and his purpose and his passion. If you think about what he said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you think about the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15, the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the lost son, all communicating God's heart for those who stand outside, who are lost, the, the wayward son who comes home. Or you think about what Jesus says in in Luke 5, he says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you think about the Great Commission as Jesus sends his disciples out and says, Go and do what I have done to you, making disciples of all nations. Evangelism is essential. It's what Jesus was about. And as his people, we need to value the things that Jesus valued. Whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. Now, the, the thing about that, um, that statement, whatever it takes that I love, is it creates a sense of urgency. It creates a, a catchphrase that we can use, that we can hang over all of the things that we do. Whatever it takes means that by, by any means possible, that we will try everything within our human ability and human capacity to bring people to Jesus. And so I want to show you that from Scripture. I want to get, go to a number of places to show you this attitude in play. And the first is in the ministry of Paul. Have a look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share, that I might share with them in its blessings. I love that. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. You notice Paul's not naive enough to say that I might save all. Because he knows what he is responsible for. Paul is not responsible for moving people from death to life. That's the bit that God does. Everything else we are responsible for. We're responsible for removing barriers and obstacles to people hearing about Jesus. We're responsible about taking the good news to them. We are responsible to do whatever it takes. By all possible means, every possible avenue, Paul will do anything he can beyond going outside of 
the law of God and the law of Christ and being disobedient to what God has called him to do. Now, Paul's not a chameleon, right? He's not pretending to be one thing in one context and then pretending to be something else in another context. There's there's boundaries. There's a fence around this. You know, he says to those who are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, though not outside of the law of Christ. he, He puts a fence around it and he is willing to walk right up to the edge of the cliff in order to draw people to Jesus without stepping off the edge. He's willing to do whatever it takes. And I want to give you an example of that. In Paul's ministry, he came across a young man who came, who came to put his faith and trust in Jesus, and his name was Timothy. Timothy was converted uh, to worship Jesus from a Greek background. That is, he didn't grow up Jewish, which meant that he wasn't circumcised. He hadn't received the sign of the covenant, and he wanted to join Paul on his missionary journey. Now, we know that Paul's strategy was to turn up to a city, to go to the synagogue first, to preach the good news to the Jews, to God's people first, before they then rejected him or kicked him out, and then he would take the message to the Gentiles around them. So Timothy posed a problem for Paul's mission. So Paul says to Timothy, if you want to join me on this mission, the first thing you need to do as an adult man is to go and get circumcised. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but at that point, I would be saying to Paul, actually, bro, I feel maybe you and I should go our different ways. I'll go to the Gentiles. You go to the Jews. Let's just call this your territory, my territory, and we're all good. Right? But Timothy, so committed to the cause is circumcised and then joins Paul on. Now, I don't even know how the Jews would check that. Like an ID check at synagogue as you come in. I, like, but, but Paul is willing to do whatever it takes in order to remove a hindrance, an obstacle to the gospel, and Timothy joins him and they have fruitful ministry partnership to many churches. Willing to do whatever it takes. Paul is not interested in staying in his comfort zone. Neither is Timothy. They're willing to make sacrifices. You know, over this summer, we have seen uh, the whatever it takes mindset in play amongst uh, the rural uh, firefighters who have spent the vast majority of their summer fighting fires up until this week where the rain has brought some reprieve to the fire zones. We heard stories of firefighters putting in 12 to 18 hour days on the front lines, fighting fires, protecting property and saving lives. Why? Because we were facing a crisis, an emergency Lives were at stake, properties were at stake, infrastructure was at stake, wildlife was at stake. And so the firefighters literally did whatever it took, including some of them making the ultimate sacrifice of their own lives to protect people. Whatever it takes attitude. We've seen that in front of our eyes. I want to suggest to you that we are in the midst of a spiritual emergency. That as we look around our landscape, we see at best 7 to 8% of the Australian population who come to church, who experience Christian community, have an opportunity to hear the word of God proclaimed, to hear the good news of Jesus. In our city alone, 4.6 million people. In this part of our city, upwards of 70% of people who tick no religion on the census. We are facing a spiritual crisis and people's lives, their eternity are hanging in the balance. And for the church to do anything less than whatever it takes to bring the good news of people to, to people to push the darkness back is not fitting for the context that we find ourselves in. Whatever it takes. 
You know, I think Paul's um, example and challenge to us is profound. You see, we live in a culture that values personal freedom and autonomy above everything else. And yet you see what Paul says there in verse 19? For though I am free from all, I'm free. The good news sets us free. We are bound to no one. And although I am free, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. What does it look like for us to lay our lives down, to make the necessary sacrifices, to give up our personal freedoms, to serve our city, to serve our neighbours, to love our colleagues and family members and to bring Jesus to them? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Well, the second example I want to show you is uh, from the Gospels, from Mark chapter 2. And I love this story of four friends who bring their paralyzed mate to Jesus. This is what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned, that's Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, so he'd been in Capernaum, he'd ministered there, he left Capernaum, he came back, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, that is these four friends, they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed on which uh, the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but for the most part, when you encounter a crowd, it's a bit of a put-off. You turn up to a very busy restaurant, there's a line out the door, you're like, nah, I couldn't be bothered, let's just go somewhere else. Or you, you think about going to Bondi on a hot day, you're like, too busy, let's just pick another beach, right? Crowds tend to be a total put-off. We, we just check out when there's a big crowd. Well, crowds did not put these guys off because they were so determined to get to their, their friend to Jesus that when they got there, they saw the crowd, they just switched to plan B. But you know what? Instead of going through the door, how about we just come through the roof? They are willing to break every rule in the book to get their friend at the feet of Jesus. Now in the first century, the, the first rule they break is they damage personal property. In the first century, houses tended to have a flat roof and they often had a set of stairs or a ladder on the side of the house. And it was often used to store things, perhaps dry clothing, Sometimes uh, we, we read in the scriptures that people climbed up on the roof to pray. Uh, you know, you imagine someone sitting on top of a pitched terracotta roof praying. It just probably wasn't like that. First century houses were made with a combination of a thatched layer of um, roofing covered with uh, a mud layer on top of it. And those roofing, the roofs needed to be replaced periodically because that, the thatching and the, and the mud would kind of leak and break apart. So they had to replace it. It wouldn't have taken these guys hauling a jackhammer with them to get through the roof. Right? It would have been fairly straightforward, hands, potentially even sticks, to start to pull this roof apart. And, and as they make a hole big enough, they lower their friend there on the floor in front of Jesus. They are willing to risk being sued or forced to pay for the damages in order to get there. Perhaps they reason that we'll fix it afterwards, whatever it is. They are willing to damage personal property. So determined are they to get their friend in front of Jesus that they would ruin the roof entirely. The second um, thing that they do is that they obnoxiously interrupt Jesus' teaching. 
Jesus is there. A crowd has gathered. There's a massive crowd there. There's no room. The doorway is full. And, and here they come and obnoxiously push in front of the light. You know when you're driving in traffic and uh, you're in the right-hand lane, you pull up, there's traffic, everyone pulls up in the right-hand lane because there's a left, there's a car parked in the left-hand lane and that person sneaks up all the way up the left and then tries to push in right at the front, you know? There's people and then you're sitting there, you're thinking to myself, man, that person, everyone else has waited in this queue and that person there and you get so angry with them, you bip them and you, you, you get as close as you can to the car in front of you and you don't want to let them in and all. Is it just me? Is it? I actually, I tend to be the person trying to push in, if I'm honest with you. But um, that feeling, you think, what about all the people who are standing at the door on their tippy toes, leaning in, trying to listen to what Jesus is saying, and then these guys obnoxiously and rudely interrupt the message to put that. What about all of the other people who couldn't get in? These guys are willing to do whatever it takes to get their friends to the foot of Jesus. They risk social pushback. They risk damaging personal property. What would motivate them to do that? Well, firstly, they have a deep love for their friend. A deep love. Secondly, they believe they have faith that Jesus can heal him. And they are desperate to help. So they do whatever it takes. They ruin the roof. They risk reputation. Are you willing, are you willing to proverbially ruin the roof and risk your reputation in order to get people to Jesus? Now, I don't know about you, but um, as, I, as I read these stories, I find them inspiring because if I'm real with you, most of the time, I don't feel like doing that. Most of the time, I prefer ease and comfort over risk and putting myself out there and the cost of living a life of service towards others. Most of the time, I prefer my reputation over putting myself out. And so these, these stories inspire me to live a life like this. But this whatever-it-takes attitude has to be grounded on something. The ultimate motivation for this is not achievement, success, goals, notches. The ultimate motivation for this is that we would live a life like Jesus because I can't think of a better example of a whatever it takes attitude than the good news of the gospel in John 3 16 John says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God was willing to give everything he had his only son And he knew what the cost would be. Jesus was willing to give everything that he had, his life. He laid down his life for us. He sacrificed himself. His blood was shed. He gave up the glory of heaven and the worship of angels and the adoring face of his father. He gave it all up to do whatever it takes to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us, to call us back home. You know, our kids um, sometimes play that game, Stuck in the Mud. Remember that game? The very first thing that happens when one of the kids are set free from Stuck in the Mud is what? They immediately run and try and free someone else. Because that's what happens to us. When we have encountered the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God and the forgiveness of our Saviour, 
the very first thing we ought to want to do is tell that good news to someone else, to set someone else free, whatever it takes. You know, the reason that we started uh, Anchor Church in the beginning was not because we were horribly dissatisfied with the church that I was at. I'd been happily and joyfully ministering at a church in the western suburb of Sydney. I loved the church. I loved working for my boss, probably the boss I've ever had in any context, secular or Christian. I loved the team I was working with. God was blessing the ministry. I didn't leave that because I was dissatisfied with church. We left Anchor because we felt that God had called us to plant and start a church where the unchurched and the de-churched could encounter Jesus. My story was one of walking away from Jesus, of walking away from church for a period of time, and then God, by His grace, wooing me back. And I feel like He's given me a particular heart for the wayward, the prodigals, who have perhaps grown up in church and then walked away. And so the reason that we planted Anchor Church was not just to plant another church. Like the inner West didn't need just another church. What the inner West needed and what Sydney still needs is churches that are engaging with our culture, churches that are reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And that was our heart and desire behind planting this church. My desire is not that Anchor would be known as this cool hipster church that has on-point social media, but that we would be known as a church with a deep, deep love for Jesus, that we are deeply impacted by the good news, that we love the people around us, and that we're the type of church that's willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to put people at the feet of Jesus, that we would do anything to lift him up, and that whatever it takes attitude starts with me, and it starts with you, if, people want, if we want people to encounter Jesus, we have to be the type of people who have encountered Jesus. We have to be the type of people who come down from the mountaintop of experiencing God's presence and the glory of God radiates from our faces. That we are so captured and captivated and changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus that people would see our lives, see the way that we respond in seasons of suffering, see our generosity, see the way that we respond to gossip and criticism at work, see the way that we love people practically and sacrificially and say of us, there has to be something different about these people. I need to know what it is. And then we say, it's Jesus. That's my hope. That's my dream for our church. That we would do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. And that starts with us leaning in. That starts with us going back to the foundation of last week, that we would be hungry for more of God in our lives and in our walk with Him. Whatever it takes looks like us planting churches, which is a massive part of our focus for this year. We are sending a team of people. In fact, we're not just sending a team of people. We're sending some of our best. We're sending our own. We're sending Alnado and Kath, who have blessed our church and been a part of our church since almost the very beginning. They were here before we launched publicly, part of that launch team. We're sending a team of people, some of whom were on the original launch team that planted this church. So they know what it takes to plant a church and they're still going to go and do it again. It's costly. It's sacrificial. There's gospel goodbyes. There's grief in this. But we do whatever it takes. Running Alpha this year is costly. 
I mean, that, um, that launch party on Thursday night was unbelievable. But man, it took a lot of work to get that up. The, the Alpha team and those who helped cook food and prepare and set up and pack down, we worked hard to get that happening, right? That took effort and sacrifice. But why did we do that? Because we're willing to do whatever it takes to introduce people to Jesus. And we believe Alpha is a vehicle for that. But you may think, well, I can't plan a church. I can't lead an Alpha course. What, what, how do I play my part in this? We're not expecting everyone in this room to be an Arnaldo and go and plan a church. We're not expecting everyone in this room to be able to sit in front of unbelievers and field tricky, difficult theological questions. But we do expect that God has gifted each and every single one of you in a unique way to play your part in this vision. Whatever it takes can be played out in a thousand different ways in our lives and in this church. It can be played out in your work as you view your workplace, not as just your nine to five to check in to check out, but as your vocation, as your calling, as the intersection of your purpose and your joy and God's purposes in the world. Whatever it takes looks like us serving each other, giving our church and our city our best, not just our sloppy leftovers. Whatever it takes looks like us, even in the very simple decision of where to sit in church, right? To sit down the front and in the middle so that the aisles on the back are left for those who are new so they don't have to do that awkward walk down the front and sit all the way down the front when the church is full because all of the church members have taken the comfortable seats at the back. That's a, that's a bit of a hobby horse of mine. It's, it's simple, little, small things like that. Whatever it takes is about bumping. You know, there was a team here this morning who cleared out perhaps three, four hundred chairs and set these ones up so that you can sit in the seats that you're sitting in now. Whatever it takes looks like the band this morning rehearsing an acoustic set because the PA wasn't working, wasn't ready this morning. And we're ready to almost with 10 minutes to go just to stand out the front with an acoustic guitar and sing and lead you because... We're a church plant and sometimes that's what it takes. Whatever it takes can be played out in a thousand different ways. Whatever it takes is the hundred small little sacrificial decisions that no one sees other than God to put Jesus first in your life. I want to finish this morning by telling a couple of stories of how I've seen this in the life of our church just in the last few weeks. The first story, and you'll have to forgive me for those of you who I brag on right now. I haven't asked your permission because I know you would all say no. You're too humble. So I'm just going to brag on you. And if you're here, just receive it. Okay, don't. Just receive it. So the first person is Abby Mills. And I don't know if Abby's here this morning, but Abby has been doing an incredible job with food. So all of our grazing tables that were placed out there, Abby and Faith and some of the hospitality team have been working on them throughout summer so that we can create a space and a context for people to hang out, enjoy community and fellowship together. But not only that, after a crazy summer of setting up grazing tables and, and, and sometimes doing that when her whole team couldn't make it on Sunday, just doing it by herself because there was no one else, and then Abby turns up and she totally bosses this whole alpha launch party and wrangles in a whole bunch of people to cook food. She spends the whole night in the kitchen cooking and preparing food and she cooked the most amazing fish tacos you have ever eaten in your life. They were so good. And it was just a little window for me into a person who is making decisions not to sit on the couch, not to be at home, not to chill, but to serve people and do whatever it takes to create a context for people to encounter Jesus. 
I think of um, Ethan Dennis, who is in the band this morning playing guitar. But he's not just in this band. He's also in another band. So he plays guitar in one band. He plays keys in another band. That's four out of six weeks. And then potentially his GC is rostered in for bumping. So he's here five out of six Sundays to serve in a capacity. And it's not just what he does on stage. They turn up here at 7.30. They rehearse on Monday nights. And at home, he's learning new songs and learning how to play the song. Right? So... That is just a little window of someone who is doing whatever it takes in their part, in their lane, with their gifts and their abilities so that people can encounter and enjoy the presence of God as we come into worship together. I think of the story of Tom and Chloe Stewart who um, on Celebration Sunday last year, Tom was catching the bus to church and he hopped on the bus and noticed a a woman in front of him who was... um, mentally unwell and struggling, he sat behind her and, and she, said to, she turned around and said to him, do you think you could give me a shoulder massage? <laughs> now at that point, most people would say, oh, I'm really sorry, this is weird. But Tom, in all of his courage and boldness, gave her a shoulder massage on the bus, got chatting to her, said, hey, I'm on the way to church, would you like to come? She came. She came to church, she, she sat through church, she worshipped with, with us, She heard all of the people on Celebration Sunday stand out the front and declare the goodness of God in their lives. And then Chloe caught the bus home with her, realized she had no food, took her to the supermarket, bought her a week's worth of groceries, went back to her house, packed it in the fridge and loved her and served her. Now I realize that not everyone's a Tom and Chloe Stewart. Like, right, they are incredibly amazing. But it doesn't take much to put yourself out, to take a risk, to do whatever it takes. Or perhaps the highlight for me and maybe even the proudest moment of my life as a dad was our daughter Piper who last week said to Tash and I that she wanted to sew in to the Anchor Southwest Church plant with her money. She's been getting $5 pocket money each week. And she was so excited. She ran to her little little thing. It's got like three tins in it. It's like save, give, spend. Or I don't even know what the categories are. Maybe not even give, but it's we're going to change it to give. But she comes running out with her little piggy bank. She says, I want to give. I want to give some money to Arnaldo and his church plant. I'm going to give Arnaldo $2. I'm like, that's amazing. And, she, and I'm going to give Anchor $2 as well. And she goes, actually, I'm going to give Anchor $2 and Arnaldo $1. I was like, Maybe you should do it the other way around. You know, like the church plan probably needs it more. She's like, nope. But then last Sunday, Tash took Piper up to Arnaldo and she gave him a dollar. And I think Arnaldo has framed that dollar and stuck it on his wall in front of the desk in the office. A beautiful, small moment of whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. And if a five-year-old can do it, all of us are capable of doing our part, playing our role. And so this morning, I want to call us to step in behind a vision. You know, there's, there's a thousand visions for church out there. Every single one of you come with your hopes, your dreams, your vision for church. And some of those visions are great visions. Vision for a church that would make disciples. Vision for a church that would care for the poor. A vision for the church that would teach the Bible and be theologically rich. And all of those are wonderful, good things. But we can't have 50 visions here at Anchor. We, we need one. We need one vision. And I want to call you as a church family to get behind this vision of whatever it takes to bring the wayward home and play your part. 
So I want to give you an opportunity now to, to just respond, to, to be considering your unique gifts, the things that God has put in your hand and the part that you can play as we transition to response and worship. Would you consider that? It doesn't really matter how small it is. If it could be small and as simple as a dollar, but God sees it, He loves it, and we pray the Spirit fans those gifts into flame. And so church, I want to invite you to stand as we respond together and worship Jesus this morning. We're going to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. The stations around the room contain bread and grape juice, symbols that represent the body and blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. And as you participate in that meal, if you love Jesus, this is for you. As you participate in that meal, it's a reminder that Jesus did whatever it took to rescue you, to redeem you, to call you back. So come forward and celebrate and enjoy the gospel. Let's stand together as we worship together. So stand, church. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to worship the goodness of our God. Father God, we thank you that you are the God who's willing to do whatever it takes. You gave your all, your one and only son. You could not have loved us anymore. And God, we want to offer our lives to you as living sacrifices, that they would be holy and pleasing, that you would use us, that you would use this church to be a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to see this city, to see our neighbours and our friends and our family at the feet of Jesus. God, I pray that whatever gift, whatever passion, whatever calling you have over every person in this room, Help us all to play our unique part in this. Fan that into flame. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.